Hello and welcome to the podium, Natalie Yeadon. Thank you. Great to be here, Verena. Welcome back to the audience. As a reminder, I'm speaking in loose sequence with experts in healthcare at large, anywhere from the various sets of expertise, be it the pharmaceutical industry, be it uh, providers, patients, payers of policy, or anybody in between who is contributing uh, with impact on moving the needle in healthcare. And some of the things we've all observed is that unfortunately we have too many silos and not enough bridges. And so these are the things I'm exploring to hear from experts like Natalie from their rich experience, what has worked in terms of building bridges and what is still standing in the way. And without further ado, again, happy to have Natalie today, who is the CEO and co-founder of Impetus Digital, brings rich experience both from the private and public sector and in terms of digital expertise. So very curious. Natalie, let me kick it off with a 50,000 feet view around what does value mean to you in healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. And you've written a beautiful book on this. You were talking about the five P's and certainly the bridge, uh, the bridge between all of them. But we all know in the healthcare, there's many different players and each of them has their own sense of reality and what they consider to be value. At the end of the day, are all of the individuals going to be benefiting in some sort of fashion? When we start to think about healthcare, it becomes what we call a very complex system. Complex systems require innovation systems thinking. Ultimately, what drives behavior is incentivization models. So we need to determine and study the flow of money. Where are people getting incentivized? And with all of this, when we start to dismember it to, down to the basic principles, we need to understand and identify what are the building blocks. And for us to truly start to engage and build those bridges and build something new, we almost have to create like a sort of sense of a, a forest fire, because within that, we can dismantle the old legacy relics and have some of the new outcroppings grow up underneath the ashes, sort of like the phoenix in the ashes. So for me, value is when all of those players are benefiting in some sort of a fashion. Yeah, and I think you are referring to what we pretty much around the world have a fee-for-service system, very transactional. The flow of money is kind of relatively easy to measure but it leads to inequitable value generation. I mean, some, we don't, not gonna go into details and, and uh, finger pointing because the whole point is to stop the, the singling out the villains, I think, and to see how we can co-create uh, this value together. So out of your experience between those silos, um, any thoughts on things that have worked maybe in your experience where this co-creation of value has occurred, maybe in a bubble or maybe in a, in a pocket, pocket, but still maybe an example to share. Yeah, for the last 13 years, we have been working with pharma companies across the globe in developing these bridges, if you will, with a series of conversations longitudinally. Pharma companies are very used to having these very interactional, one-off, throw enough stuff to the wall type of interactions with stakeholders, because that's what we've traditionally done in in-person meetings. People are flying across the country to meet in person, so we got to get everything in front of them. We're no longer in that situation. And in fact, COVID has been an accelerant of digital revolution, digital transformation. We found a groundswell, or if you will, a tailwind behind this plane, if you will, of driving people in towards thinking around meetings, around progression of thinking, and really the, the whole idea of bringing digital into the conversation in a brand new way. 
So what we've been actually been able to do over the years, and certainly in an accelerated format since COVID, is brought people like payers, patients, allied healthcare providers, physicians, and various other healthcare stakeholders around the virtual table, engaging them through a series of asynchronous and synchronous virtual communication touch points, collaboration touch points, using a series of tools that we've built in our platform, along with the very specific detail-oriented white glove service. So we don't just provide or license the software, we orchestrate it, we build it, we create the content and we project manage it. Because a lot of times these conversations can become digital ghost towns unless they're properly managed. There's a call to actions. There's things that are intriguing and relevant and enticing to do. So we've really kind of wrapped this in a skin in a process so we can get people to start talking. So I see this as a success. Everything starts with a conversation. And then from there, we need to continue and sustain and build that. So developing trustability, building authentic partnerships, making sure that people believe that you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do. And these are some of the successes that we've seen as we're pushing forward new ideas, policies, procedures, new ways of doing clinical trials, new thinking behind all of it. And it's all slowly starting to gel together. So basically what I'm hearing you say from earlier, kind of the complexity in healthcare is probably, if not one of the most complex industry we can even think of, but what digital helps is almost compress those hurdles or remove those hurdles of space and time, right? It's like to have those various conversations to occur and what you're referring to at Impetus Digital, you're, you're providing a great platform here to, to help with those conversations and connects, um, connecting the dots to happen. So moving forward for the future, so you, you were saying you, you've been doing this for over a decade already, um, clearly probably catalyzed by the, unfortunately, the pandemic. So what are you hoping for we can, once we're all collectively a little bit through that tunnel and back to a little bit of more normalcy, what would you like to keep and what do you think is realistic to uh, perpetuate from this crisis? Well, I think that there's short and long term. I think that there's the realistic practical and those are things that are happening right now. They're real, they're happening, but we need to push the envelope a little bit further. We need to dismantle some of the legacy thinking, belief systems, infrastructure, policy and procedures. We need to start increasing the dialogue around bioethics, surveillance, privacy, security. And, and you know, it's going to be starting with things like decentralized clinical trials. We've been talking about patient centricity for decades, but really their whole emphasis around the 21st century, uh, 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 the uh, the act that got launched by the FDA in terms of truly including patients in protocol development and thinking around that, we still have just sitting on the precipice of inclusion, diversity, getting into the fringe. With technology, we're now enabled to go beyond the sort of standardized investigator sites that everybody goes to for all the big pharma clinical trials. We can go to the smaller communities. We can go to some of the underserviced, underprivileged, to the vulnerable populations and really start to dismantle the bias in the algorithms and the clinical studies. So I just think that the advent of just clinical trials as being this linchpin, if you will, for lots of investigation of how do we get things in front of people in a more real way, getting past the 40 page consent form on paper to something that's a simple e-consent displayed, really fun, fun way that people are engaging with it. How do, how do we get away from 
CROs that are actually penciling in on paper and then scanning things into systems. So just going through some of those basic pieces around drug discovery, and then having those transpose into the way we start to think about market access and reimbursement and all kinds of other things that we do around discovery, innovation, and partnerships is there's a whole kaleidoscope of things that we can start doing around um, centralizing, you know, creating centerpieces around where, where patient care is happening. It doesn't have to happen at the physician office or in the hospital. We're going to start to see a whole evolution of care at home through sensors, through our cars, through ambient biometric um, utilization. And, you know, I can basically go on. So these are just the tipping points. So we've got the starting pieces, which are the practical components, including some digital transformation on just the systems we're using now. And then a whole series of of confluence of opportunities that could happen in the future. So I have two follow-up questions. Uh, One is around an easier and a tough one, maybe. Let's start with the easier one and then close with the tough one. So the easier one would be um, how can you, around decentralized trials, and maybe some in the audience who are less familiar on what we mean by that, and then maybe swift to the (laughs) tougher one is like, how can we really dismantle those old beliefs? (laughs) So um, maybe let's start with a more technical one on how would you describe decentralized trials and what's the benefit? So we'll start off by first determining what is a clinical trial. And these are actually getting people involved in studying new drugs to see how they work so that pharma companies can actually register them and then they can make them accessible to the rest of the world. And in this process, other people are looking very carefully, including people who pay for this, which are public payers or private payers. They determine what is the efficacy, what the impact is, et cetera. So clinical trials have been traditionally done with physician offices, various other research organizations have participated in the process and patients take drugs or they take a placebo or some other format and they determine what the impact is on specific endpoints. What a decentralized trial is, is we're kind of turning that on its head, is we give people an opportunity that they don't have to go somewhere to get detection, to get monitored, to be able to determine what is happening with their health over time because they've been taking a drug or the placebo. A lot of this can happen at home. A lot of this can be happening overseas if somebody's decided that they're gonna go to Switzerland to live there for six months. So they have options. They can actually start using things like Bluetooth enabled monitors or types of stethoscopes. There's various other sorts of tools that are being used out there that people can monitor 24 hour glucose monitors. They can use their wearables and other sorts of sensors. We've even started hearing about smart pills where people can actually start swallowing their pills and people can detect if they actually adhere to taking the medication. So there are so many interesting, cool tools that are all technology enabled that will allow us to be able to detect what's happening. And then for us to enable real time, what we call PROs or patient reported outcomes. So patients are truly part of the equation. They have access to dashboards and various other people are around the table to access access. In the future, we are gonna be giving people more choice, what we call hybrid trials. Some people may choose the decentralized or the remote monitoring avenue. Other people still like the people thing. They wanna get in a car ride and go see their physician. So we wanna be in a place where we're giving people more choice. Yeah. To answer your second question as it relates to how are we gonna do this? Again, I really believe that everything starts with a conversation. A big piece around automaticity and including and changing workflow has to do with people leaning on 
things like policy and procedure. Some people actually do it because they really do believe in it. And some, some people, in my opinion, use it as an excuse, an excuse not to change their mindset. Let's be really frank. The human brain is lazy. It likes to do things that it's already used to doing. How many people here have gotten in their car and actually had no recollection of them driving from their home to their workplace? We get into that automaticity. We call it, you know, thinking fast and slow, a book by Daniel Kahneman. We get into these heretics. We get into these places of being used to doing things. So as soon as you put something new into that, we get our knickers in a knot. We go, oh, I got to start to think about this. I really have to, I need to change infrastructure. We need to change the setup of the company. We need to change the culture of the company. And it takes a lot of work. So I really do believe that it starts with a conversation. The kinds of conversations we're having right now, Verena, the ones that we're going to sustain over time, building these bridges, bringing people around the table virtually or in person or a combination of thereof to start dismantling some of the old. But more importantly, if we can't do that, we need to start to build new on top of the old. And that's normally what ends up happening and, and what I think is, is going to be the way that we're going to create disruptive, positive change in healthcare. And I know you're really strong on and adamant about the piece of leadership because for that those conversations to happen, you need a first person to take action and do it, right? And so you need those leaders as always in life and with humankind. We need those role models that others can follow. And then it becomes a little bit easier when you can start following and you don't need to reinvent everything yourself. So uh, thanks also for your role, role modeling and leadership. And I think it's a big theme that we need to support those leaders out there and break new grounds and start doing things differently to challenge the lazy human brain a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just want to say, and I, I did write a book called uh, The Healthcare Heretic Leadership for Disruptive Change. I wrote that a few years ago before all of the calamities around us. But I do want to say is that it is an opportunity for the visionaries. I, I know a lot of times, many people who are in organizations, they're kind of the main culprit is fear, the fear of retribution, the fear of losing status. There's so many different things I've written about this in my book. But the idea here is that we need to find a purposeful way of what it is that we're doing in our life. As we start to start considering the, the introduction of technologies, uh, Eric Topol has written a lot about this in his books, the roboticization of medicine. We really need to start to determining where we as human consciousness, as people, where we're going to play our part in society and community. It's going to be about purposeful living and really moving forward with your own movement, your own your own identity, uh, something that you really believe in and getting people to rally around this. There's so much change. We're in a confluence. We're really, in my opinion, in the next renaissance. So what better time to kind of dig your feet and do something really new, something you really feel strongly about. Um, and, and there is going to be lots of people who are going to be looking for that level of leadership. Thank you very much, Natalie Eden. Thank you. Thank you.